0: Welcome to Tales from the Waystone, a Kingkiller Chronicle reread podcast.
1: We are your hosts, Will and Phoenix. Let's get into it.
0: Welcome to Tales from the Waystone Season 2, Episode 3, Tower of Power, where we will be looking at Chapter 5 of the Wise Man's Fear through the lens of power dynamics.
1: In case you're new here, and even if you're not, each week we will be examining a section of the Wise Man's Fear through a chosen lens and figuring out what we can take from the text to apply to our real lives. We'll also take some time to explore models of practical wisdom from the text with an Aristotelian Phrenemus of the Week. After that, we will expand our understanding of our own world with an interesting fact. Then we will share a recommended thing of the week. This one's new. And finally, we will wrap things up with seven words from the book and seven words from our own lives.
0: But first, we have to do some disclaimers. As always, we're in no way affiliated with Patrick Rothfuss or his publisher, Daw Books. Though naturally, if Pat's listening and wants to change that, we wouldn't say no. Secondly, our discussions naturally assume that either A, you've already read the King Killer Chronicle, in which case, awesome, you know what's coming, as well as some of the other ancillary novellas and short stories in the continuity, or B, you come from the future, and you already know how this ends. You've seen everything, much like Patrick Stewart, and we're okay with either of those. Needless to say, beyond this point, here be spoilers.
1: Okay, explain the Patrick Stewart bit, because I need to know.
0: His episode of Extras. It's a running gag. If you get it, you get it. The right people will get it.
1: Okay. Carry on.
0: Finally, a word to our community. Be kind to yourselves, one another, and the creators of the worlds we love exploring. Now, moving on, let's go ahead and do the 45-second recap. It is my turn. I have a timer there for you.
1: Yay! Someone's prepared.
0: Someone is.
1: In three, two, one... Go.
0: Quoth, Will, and Sim take Minette across the river to show him a life less grim with music to make him shiver. At the Aeolian's gate, Quoth's pipes grant them access without paying the rate, leaving Minette impressed. Marie whips out her fiddle and plays a fine song which helps crack the riddle of why the entry line's so long. Minette reveals the political machinations behind university admissions, a blow to Quoth's station, given his lofty ambitions. In the audience, Quoth finds his true love on the arms of her new beau. Yes, Denna was waiting above, hoping that Quoth would show. Quoth's romantic rival is trying for his pipes with a hard heart for survival, an antique Quoth gripes. While searching for an earring lost, K and D share a laugh that goes without cost on the fair lady's behalf. Minette lectures Will and Sim about the politics of patrons and how a lord's whims help make a state run.
1: I would like you to read this. Damn it. I would like you to read this out loud. No. (laughs) I would like you to read it out loud.
0: And I would like a pony. (laughs) (sighs) Well, in the spirit of we can't all get what we want, I guess I'm eating cherries because I took 51.62 seconds for that one.
1: But it was a really awesome, very long description of one chapter of the book.
0: As you might surmise, a lot happens here. Yes. So, as I was reading through this single...
1: Uh, 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 Before we get too far, should anyone have a suggestion of what the cherry item might be? Send us a tweet, an Instagram message, random item in the mail, message us if you want our P.O. box. Help us out here. On to the book!
0: Alright. So... As we noticed, this is a fairly dense chapter. A fair amount happens here, and a lot of it boils down to politics and influence. And a lot of it is in the form of soft power, which is to say the ability to convince people to do what you want rather than forcing them to do what you want.
1: That is an interesting thing that you note. We've been getting back into, and I say back into, you never really got into, Star Trek Voyager, and there was an episode where, what is it, like four people are just crowding Neelix trying to make him do the thing that they want him to do, and you commented something along the lines of, because yes, the way to make someone do something that they don't want to do is to just crowd around them and make them feel trapped.
0: Yeah, it was a really weirdly framed scene, and it just, ehh. So we've got multiple cases of soft power in play here. We talk about Kvothe's power that he wields within the Aeolian as someone who has his own set of pipes. This means he gets free admission. It means that he gets a place of honor on the stage. He can make his own way there and get all the free drinks he wants.
1: And potentially earn money from a crowd of well-to-do patrons.
0: Exactly. His recommendations carry weight with Stanchion and Dioc. If he doesn't like the way someone is behaving, he can talk to them and he will be listened to. If he likes someone, he has the ability to get them in and introduce them to the right people. He wields a lot of power here in contrast to pretty much everywhere else in the world.
1: Yes, and even then, there is an example of how someone who feels like they have power everywhere but here, takes note of the power that Quoth has here, here, and shows him at least a little bit of deference.
0: At least as much as a firstborn lordling son can.
1: He is a lord unto himself.
0: Meanwhile, we also get a little bit of the politicking that goes on just within university admissions. The tuition process is not an objective one. I mean, everything is left up to the master's whims.
1: I mean, we kind of knew that already, except Sim, poor naive Sim, believes in the good and right and lawful good, let's say lawful good, intentions of everyone. Except that's not always the case. Rarely the case. Very rarely the case.
0: And the fact is, there's no written scale for how they should be setting their admissions. There are no guidelines, there are no bylaws or anything that someone can appeal to. Because remember, the university is barely functioning as a bureaucracy. (laughs) I've been on a bit of a data governance kick of late and the governance at the university is just absolutely ramshackle. I hate it. And like I said, there's nothing stopping the Masters from making their own purely subjective choices.
1: On top of that, I think that this is the absolute first time that Kfoth has been made aware that Rolar's tuition is going to be more expensive.
0: Right, because they're going to be learning more difficult subject material, they'll require deeper instruction, and there are probably greater risks.
1: I mean... A group of untrained kids and young adults getting set loose on things like alchemical processes that could burrow into your bones and leach all the calcium away? Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, just the lab fees alone are going to be crazy.
1: (laughs) Well, speaking of that, though it doesn't seem to matter what your rank is when it comes to what classes you're in. Because Fulth's a Relar, but he's still going to be in classes with Illyres and people who maybe aren't fully in the Arcanum.
0: I mean, I've known upperclassmen taking entry-level classes.
1: Right. It's not quite that that I'm talking about. It's more that... There's no structure to say that Rolar should be taking this advanced class, and that you can also choose to take less advanced classes that are maybe in a different subject than the one that you're taking. Because why would you take calculus and pre-algebra at the same time?
0: Well, like we've said, the administration at the university, which hasn't even seen fit to give itself a proper name, I mean, seriously, how the hell have they been accredited? They can't even give a name. They're just, you know, we're the university.
1: No, but they're the university.
0: Oh, oh, how how is the doing these days? Good old T.U.
1: Ah, your knack for pedantry, it never ceases to amaze me.
0: Look, when you're building a world, these are the things that people focus on.
1: That some people focus on. Maybe we should move on to things that other people focus on.
0: Okay, I get it. My own focuses are just mere pedantry.
1: Have you not noticed this yet?
0: So let's go ahead and dive into the events of the chapter, not just the themes. Shall we? Sure. <laughs> so things start off with Quoth essentially trying to hustle for money. Because he knows tuition's going to come up. He doesn't know how much he's going to need.
1: And he is dirt poor. That all being said, he keeps trying to earn tiny amounts of money. Like enough where he could lose it all within a few hands of a card game that he stupidly decided to engage in after having worked with such a dangerous material that he had to cut away a part of his sleeve. Like I can feel the sweat and the the terror of oh my god, it's on me, it's on me, it's on me, it's on me. And then he's like, I can make money a better way. And then he does something equally as stupid.
0: Not to say that you can't make a living playing cards. I've known people who made their rent money by playing online poker back in college.
1: And that's perfectly fine if you know how to play poker. Foth apparently does not.
0: It seems like the sort of thing that Kvothe would think he's really good at, and then someone would just wipe the floor with him.
1: He really does have the Dunning-Kruger effect down to a T. He's also 15 years old.
0: Let's not forget, yes.
1: Not for nothing, but the scene where he's describing all of the terrible effects of all of these chemicals that he's working with reminds me so much of my ninth grade science professor, who delighted in reading the warning labels on the back of the chemicals we were going to be separating. Like he'd dump a bunch of things together and then he'd make a separate them out. And I think the one that stuck with me the longest is the hydrochloric acid warning label. Yeah, that'll do it. And that's what this reminds me of.
0: So having exhausted all of his other meager hustles,
1: Quoth decides he's got a better shot going to the Aeolian. And trying to earn money by impressing the rich people.
0: Honestly, given his skill set, this may actually be his most profitable and enjoyable way forward.
1: Right. Why did he try all the other things first? None of that seems like a good option.
0: Even if he's just using his Graysdale Mead scheme, that gets him a pretty long way.
1: Not a very long way, apparently. I mean, Chances are his tuition is going to be at least 10 talents, according to Manette. And he's got, let me see, my purse held one talent and three.
0: I concede that. However, I have to imagine that the Greysdale Mead scheme can't be less profitable than losing at cards, unloading wagons, covering shifts in the Medica, and doping yellow emitters in the fishery.
1: And losing a shirt in the process.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. But at the same time...
0: Either way, it's kind of a moonshot. He'll either make enough or he won't.
1: And the stunt that he pulls does not happen in this chapter. It's going to happen in the next episode that we record. It is such a kvoth thing to do. That's all I've got to say.
0: And given his own particular gifts... One that's probably a better use of his time.
1: Yeah, I agree with you.
0: So when they get to the door, they don't find the usual doorkeeper, Dioc.
1: Except it turns out that they have been running into Dioc, who has been covering for the usual doorkeeper, whose name is Ket.
0: He's not terribly important, but all he does is give just some minor pushback to Quoth, And then as soon as he sees the pipes and then gets informed that, yeah, they're real... He lets him in anyway, which is just our first illustration of how much those pipes are truly worth.
1: Right, but at the same time, there is the thought that because he's so young, he may have either stolen them, or they're fake, or any number of other things that means that he is still not worthy to come in without paying.
0: Fortunately, Marie bails him out.
1: I do like that we get more speaking role female characters right up front. And I like that this girl is described a little bit less like a sex object and more like maybe an MMA fighter.
0: Beyond that, she's an artist and one who is good enough to earn Kvoth's respect.
1: Which is kind of hard because he's a 15 year old boy that doesn't respect a lot of things unless it's again with that kind of power dynamic. If someone is on par or better than him, he concedes that they're at least on par with him.
0: The description of this performance, though, is pretty dynamic. I absolutely love this, and you can kind of hear it in your mind.
1: I like how enthralled both gets with the technique of other musicians playing, and how invested he gets. Like he gets into that flow state on behalf of other musicians. I mean he's really 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 judgmental but once you've impressed him and if you're nice to him and if you know you're a good person in general or at least someone that he deems as a good person he will be so complimentary and flowery and effusive in his praise. All that being said I really like the character even if we don't ever really get more of her. I think that it's nice to have a girl portrayed in medieval fantasy as almost a tomboy but not being schlubby. Like her clothes are nice and they fit well but they are styled to her tastes. She's not going to just roll over and do the trendy dress or do the things that are expected of her simply because of her gender. And she is skilled. I know how hard it is for me to figure out just how to play chords on my guitar sometimes. I am not as practiced with it as I would like to be. And I've seen really good violinists, and I am so impressed. And the idea of someone going that quickly and speeding up and speeding up and speeding up. My favorite example of something like that is the Mother Plucker song from Hank Green that I am not going to try to sing, but it starts off at a reasonable pace. And the whole point of it is to make you mess up in the way that you think that you'd mess up. But he goes from like a nice natural pace to like very, very, very fast over the course of the song. and one of the ways that the audience enjoys it is waiting for it to mess up and it's really impressive when it doesn't.
0: Yeah, Tom Lehrer used to do a lot of that in a lot of his patter songs where it would start with that slow pace and then slowly pick up the pace and then next thing you know he's listing all of these obscure Russian principalities in the middle of nowhere as well as mathematical theorems and yeah it was so much fun. All right, So moving on, we also get a little bit of discussion about the perils of gear acquisition syndrome. Namely, that instruments can cost as much as you can spend.
1: They can. They definitely can. And that's not to say that inexpensive instruments all sound bad or that really expensive instruments all sound markedly better than the ones that are inexpensive. There are some quality of life improvements that maybe seem like they aren't worth the price difference. And it really does depend on your perspective. If you're a beginner, you might think that you just want a cheap thing. And I'm gonna say you probably don't. You probably want a couple of steps above the cheap guitar. Because getting a cheap guitar, like a $50 guitar, which do exist, will be without so many of those creature comforts that it will be an unpleasant experience to play and it will lead to more people not continuing to play because you don't like the experience of playing that guitar. Get the best instrument that you can within your price range is generally good advice. That being said, if you are a dentist and you want to learn to play a guitar, I wouldn't necessarily say, Yes, get the most expensive guitar that you can afford because that's probably a PRS and...
0: Then Phoenix will just be jealous of you.
1: Right, but also if you put it over in the corner and never play it again because you didn't really want to learn to play guitar, you just wanted a trophy, I'm going to be mad. And jealous. And jealous. That being said also though, like if you're really interested in it, get the one that speaks to you within your price range, but try not to cheap out on it. Because what that leads to is what happened with me, is I bought a nice guitar, which Bast lives under our guest bed now, in its case. It's not a bad guitar. And I'd probably give it to a friend if they wanted to learn guitar. But my other guitar Kvoth cost a bit more, even with a little chip out of its headstock. And it is such a better experience. It feels so much nicer to play. It fits my body. It's small and powerful, and it makes me want to go along and just pluck its strings every time I walk by it.
0: I'll also say if you're in the electric side of things, your money is probably going to go further on your amplifier than on the guitar itself, especially at the lower ranges. Most of what you're hearing are your pickups and your amp, not the guitar.
1: But the experience of playing your guitar, you have too, also. If we had just bought the one I'm staring at first, we would have saved the money on the first one, but we couldn't afford that at the time. So we did get you the best one we could afford to get you at the time. Yep. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you still love that.
0: I do. I love both of my guitars. They're an important part of my life and they are a lot of fun. Like I say, the things that you want to look for are playability. So how does it feel in your hands? How does it feel to strum? How does it look? Honestly, aesthetics do matter. You're making art with it. You're doing stuff that should be fun. This is not a purely utilitarian exercise, so it's not just a matter of looking at spec sheets. It's how does it look, how does it feel, and then what's the best amp that I can get that will then bring that out. Right now, it has never been more affordable to get an amp that can get you a variety of sounds. You know, it used to be that your entry-level cheap amp was something that came in like the Squire beginners package and it sounds terrible. Now you can get things that will do a wide array of sounds that can make you sound like just about any artist you want for not too much more. So think about that part of it too.
1: All that being said, you could get, musical equipment that fits any budget. Literally go to Reverb.com and you could get something that could fit anyone's budget. The ceiling is,
0: there is none. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think we've made our point. And I think it's time to get back to the book. Along these lines, Manette's actually the one that points out that it's like a horse. According to Sim, His father actually once spent 250 talents on a horse. And Quoth points at a mandolin and says, that's worth twice that. It's incredible to Sim that someone would spend that much money on something. And Quoth points out that like a horse, it does have a bloodline. There are makers who are sought after. Essentially, it's a brand, but it's handmade and... It takes skill and craftsmanship.
0: And not only that, with anything that's been made that gains age, it takes dedication to keeping it in good playing condition. Yeah, it's a 100-year-old instrument. That's a long time for wood.
1: Right, unless it winds up being the ship of Theseus.
0: And even then, it has to be skillfully maintained across the board. Little things like changes in humidity can change its shape.
1: It can warp your strings, it can warp your neck.
0: And making sure that everything is properly polished and cleaned and stored safely. Protecting it from just the various dings and scratches that are natural with any traveling musician.
1: Protecting it from pests and insects. So then we come to find out that part of the reason that Quoth no longer has the money that he got from Ambrose after Ambrose destroyed his previous loot is because he actually paid off his debt to Davy and now he's probably going to have to accrue some more. Weight lifted off of his shoulders just to come crashing down again.
0: It strikes me as a pennywise pound foolish decision.
1: Well maybe, except he keeps accruing interest every term.
0: It's not so much the paying off the loan to Davy, it's immediately going out and purchasing a new lute before figuring out how much he would need for tuition.
1: Yes, but for him, his music is life. What if I took your phone away for a month?
0: I would be very annoyed.
1: Right. So I'm not going to fault Foth for having made that decision. He also is correct that if he didn't buy it, he wouldn't be able to play for Anchor. Now, Anchor would have been a decent human being about everything and would have said, you know, I understand the circumstances, it's okay. What can I do to help you? (laughs) But ultimately, even if he didn't have the money to get both the loot and his tuition, we know what one he wants to choose.
0: I think part of it boils down to how Quoth conceives of himself. He is first and foremost a musician. It's something that ties him back to his family, particularly his mother and father. It ties him back to his past. It's something that is a deep part of him, more so than his studies as an arcanist, his occupation as a student. If he cuts himself off from the musical part of himself, he's cut off from a crucial part of his identity.
1: Ultimately, this is depressing and puts a damper on his evening, but... I think that the Aeolian and the surrounding atmosphere is a great place for him to be right now because he doesn't have time to wallow in it. He has to shift his focus as the lights dim and musicians play. Yes, there's time between performers where people can order drinks and have conversation, but there isn't really time for deep introspection.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a time to lose yourself in the moment. And it's something that lets Kvoth be where he feels appreciated. Like at the Aeolian, people love him. People adore him. And as we've discussed, that's in short supply in his life. He doesn't have a whole lot of personal connections. He makes a point that his possessions could fit into a small sack. He doesn't have familial connections He doesn't have a whole lot in the way of security and, like, I don't know that he really trusts Will and Sim with the whole of his person. Maybe he should, but that's another conversation there. The fact is, he doesn't feel secure anywhere except for the Aeolian. It's where his gifts are recognized without question. It's where his abilities earn love and adoration.
1: I think in this way, there is a mirror between him and Minette, where Minette is the expert at the university. He has been the eternal Illyre longer than some of the masters have been at the university. All he's interested in is learning. And he understands that no matter how old you get, you're going to be able to keep learning. And he's found ways to make that system at the university that is so screwed up and weird work for him.
0: I think it's cute that you think there's a system. It's not a system. It's a whole bunch of arbitrary things that have been thrown together over and over again. They don't have records. They don't have anything. They can't even run a library.
1: Okay, I understand what you're saying, but that in itself is a system.
0: It's just not a good one.
1: Right! Exactly what I mean. But you know who knows the system the best? Even better than the masters? Manette. If only the youngins would listen to him. As we are moving on, Sim is drunk and really really wants Kvothe to play a song about Ambrose that will probably get him expelled. And Kvoth uses this as an opportunity To see if Count Threpp is around. Because there is no way in hell that Quoth is going to play this song. But he has no compunction about whether or not somebody else does. But honestly, the search for Threpp is actually just an excuse to search for Dinah.
0: It's kind of a ritual for Quoth at this point.
1: Kinda, yeah. And he finds her. And her new boyfriend. I wouldn't call any of her suitors boyfriends. Okay. That involves her having a level of interest that I don't think she has in them, or a type of interest.
0: Although, while I think it's fair that she does not have that interest, I think it is in her interest that they believe she does.
1: Oh yeah. She's an actress.
0: At any rate, this is Lord Kellen Ventanier, who is a harpist.
1: And not a harper.
0: <laughs> He's kind of a fish out of water. He's a Modegan noble who's never been out of Modeg before.
1: He also, though, treats Quoth very poorly until Quoth makes a show of displaying his pipes. This is the type of person that Quoth has absolutely no respect for.
0: Quoth, I kind of get the impression, is someone who... Judges someone based on how they treat the wait staff. I am too. In fact, I think more people should be that way. How do you treat someone who has no real station over you?
1: No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. How do you treat someone that you believe to be your lesser? That you think that you are better than? Or do you recognize that you are not better than?
0: Exactly. We get the impression that Kellen would probably be, at best, condescending, at worst, probably demanding.
1: I would say that if you have never been in certain situations, that you might not have that empathy built up or built in. And it's easy to look at your own situation and say, well, I don't have it great, so other people who have it worse are just about as level of less great as I am, rather than looking at it as this person is a person and I could be in their circumstance. What would my wife feel like in their circumstance? I've done customer service jobs. I have briefly worked as a restaurant worker. I can't do it. Do I think that they would serve a lot more money than they are getting because holy buckets, I could not do that job? Yes. And not just because I think that if I didn't think that way, that someone would spit in my food. I don't care that that's a common trope. That's not generally going to happen unless you are a complete... asshole. But you could treat other people nicely and respectfully and not like they're the gum underneath your shoe.
0: Yeah. I often have believed that pretty much everyone, regardless of what your career is, should spend at least a little bit of time working some manner of customer service. It's not a guarantee that you will be more empathetic because I know people who have worked customer service and with whom I have worked customer service who have absolutely not been the compassionate sort, especially to restaurant staff. And I have to say that Going to restaurants with these people has, it's yielded a lot of great stories.
1: (laughs) It's yielded a lot of great stories that are also, when you look at it from the other side, ugh.
0: There's been a lot of heartache that was completely avoidable.
1: Yeah. I'm saying on aggregate, if you treat people who are in customer service jobs like trash, you are not a good person. (laughs) That's it. So he's found Denna, who is on the arm of this person that both views as a complete tool, who he's taking a little bit of time to make a fool of, at least as an inside joke between himself and Denna. And it's interesting that he assumes that Denna is on his side, that he can see things that are like silent giggles or a twinkle in her eye that mean automatically that she's on his side. That she is rolling her eyes at the rich dude and not rolling her eyes at Kvoth. But all that being said, she's in a lovely gown. She is wearing silver and emeralds all around her neck, on her ears. Clearly, gifts. And she's showing off to Kvoth look what I have. Whether or not she is choosing to drop an earring next to Kvoth is debatable. She may have legitimately just lost her earring, and she may have chosen to do it. Now it's presented a bit like it was a choice on Denna's part, or at least that Quoth is viewing it as a choice on Denna's part to orchestrate a private conversation.
0: And even if Denna didn't intend for that to be the case, Quoth's not above using it as a pretext. Right. And here we see Quoth going out of his way to make some rather snide comments about Kellen, who... Yeah, he's kind of a prick, but I don't know that he is inherently completely irredeemable.
1: Again, these are all from Quoth's perspective. He might be perfectly cordial, and he might just also be nervous and not wanting to talk in a turn.
0: Yeah, he does have a thick accent, and he feels out of place. This is a brand new country for him.
1: A brand new place to go you know this place is built up as the musician's haven and you're nobody in this place if you can't earn your pipes if you are a musician especially or at least that's the way that quoth is presenting it
0: yeah it does require us to ignore the fact that quoth is an inherently unreliable narrator so after quoth and denna have their little rendezvous Cloth returns to his table, and we get an interesting conversation about patronage. And this is actually where the power dynamic aspect really hit home for me. So the patron provides the writ of patronage, room and board for the players, yearly wage, plus two suits of clothing in family colors. Initially, Will is like, well, what's the point of that? What are you getting out of it?
1: All the patron gets is lighter pockets, is something that he says.
0: However, in exchange, there's some soft power benefits that the patron gets. They get reputation because, hey, these players are walking around in their colors all the time. They get entertainers on retainer for parties, dances, and pageants. They get custom-written songs about them. And that all gets used as soft power to ensure that the lord's tenants pay their taxes in an orderly fashion and if conscripted for military service, do so willingly.
1: I like how Manette describes this. He gives a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more of what Sim likes back to Sim in the form of Blackberry brand. And then when time comes for payment, he expects all of Sim's beer.
0: Fortunately, Sim doesn't really like beer, but that's not the point.
1: Right, I like Blackberry brand better anyway and learned Ponsington likes his taxes better. You give me something I like, I give you something you like. It all works out. In theory, and with an altruistic lord or government, that tax money would be going toward improvements to the land that then the people living there will benefit from. But I'm not sure that the social good is necessarily something that the Lords of Temerant are interested in.
0: Yeah, and we can see elements of this in modern times. Consider how at the start of every American sporting event, the national anthem gets sung. We have all of these displays of the national colors and flags and things like that associated with pomp and circumstance and celebration. We have every 4th of July picnic that a town puts on with the fireworks displays and everything. We have national sporting teams that go out and compete in the colors of their respective countries, all to build this sense of national unity, which then gets used to justify taxation and also military service. At the end of the day, it really is an element of social soft power. It can be used ethically or it can be abused. We have seen it abused countless times. And it's... Something that you always have to be careful of. Quoth seems really desperate right now to be an agent of soft power at this point and doesn't seem to be thinking too hard about what that entails for his fellow common person.
1: The chapter wraps up with kind of a cliffhanger that we're going to leave you all on. Quoth goes up to Stanchion, says, I'd like to have a go at things tonight. I have a surprise built into my performance. And Stanchion's cool with that as long as it's not a surprise that we'll get his establishment burned down. Quoth assures him that it'll be fine. And in that case, Stanchion likes surprises. End of chapter. And it is time for us to move on to our Furnimos. I believe it's your turn this week. I believe you are correct, sir. Who'd you pick? I picked Murray. Okay. There aren't a lot of characters other than Quoth and Denna in this particular chapter I could have chosen Manette and that's mostly because he's the one that is describing a system for everybody, but I think that that's more of a exposition needing to explain to the audience what the heck. I chose Marie because I feel like she is presented as true to herself. She's going to follow her own wind, so to speak. She is a musician. She is a fiddler. She is not jealous of Foth's success at the Aeolian and in fact helps him and introduces him to the person who is usually the bouncer and assures them that yeah of course like I realize that this kid is 15 but he's really good damn it let him in. But she gets to play a couple of times. She wouldn't be invited to play if she was bad at it and she does things specifically to entertain and impress her audience. And all I can think at the end of that is that if she didn't say flourish, <laughs> then there's a missed opportunity there. I think that she comes across as being someone with showmanship. She comes across as someone who can engage her audience. And she's also very skilled. So skilled that Quoth has nothing bad to say about her. And Quoth is not often impressed by other people.
0: is pretty good at finding fault and that he cannot find fault is a testament.
1: He can also be very impressed with himself quite often, even with his own faults that he acknowledges, but turns into that, well, my greatest fault is that I am a perfectionist.
0: One thing that also struck me is she does not view performance as a competition. She wants to see people perform. She's there to create joy, and experience joy, and she recognizes that it's not a zero-sum game.
1: It's not pie.
0: I really like Marie. I think you picked a good one.
1: Thank you. And now it is time for our interesting fact of the week.
0: Excellent. Yep, it is my turn. So there are some things that some of you may know about me and others may not, but one of those facts is that I absolutely adore trains. It's one of my favorite ways to travel, whether over short or long distances. They're just always fun. I'll always enjoy a good train ride. And I strongly recommend that if you have the time and the money to do so, take the train next time instead of the airplane.
1: And definitely take the train over a bus.
0: If it's something that you can drive, it's something that you can take a train relatively affordably, and it's usually going to be more enjoyable.
1: I'd amend that there are a lot of train routes There is not a way for us to take a train to your sisters. And that makes me sad.
0: True. So the other thing that a lot of you may know is that I love cats.
1: Well, that one's incredibly, incredibly obvious. Your interesting fact has to do with trains and cats. Yes. Okay, well, I'm already enchanted.
0: So naturally, when I discovered that in Japan, there was a cat who served as a station master for a local railroad, You can imagine how I felt about this.
1: I'm sure that you were instantly, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more.
0: I will. We're going to be talking today about Tama, who is a female calico cat who gained fame for being a station master and operating officer at the Kishi station on the Kishigawa line in Kinokawa of the Wakayama Prefecture of Japan.
1: Apologies for any butchering of any names.
0: So Tama was born and raised with a group of stray cats in Kinokawa that used to live close to Kishi Station, and they were regularly fed by passengers and by Toshiko Koyama, who was the informal station master at the time. Around 2004, because of financial problems on the rail line, the rail line stopped having formal station masters that were paid, and they got volunteers to do it. Koyama was one of those people, and he eventually ended up adopting Tama. He just always had Tama with him everywhere he went and especially at the station. So the rail line quickly noticed that Kishi's station was actually doing significantly more business than the other stations. And when they sent people to find out what was going on, they noticed that it was because people were coming from all over the place to come see Tama and to greet Tama and give her treats and scritchies and then ride the train. To the point where, while they had been considering closing it, they realized that it would be a terrible oversight to do so. They would lose money by closing the station because Tama was bringing all of the people over just to tell her what a good girl she was. So on January 5th of 2007, railway officials officially awarded Tama the title of Station Master, and as Station Master, her primary duty was to greet passengers. So essentially, she just got to get all of the scritchies and treats. (laughs) <laughs> and they even gave her her own little hat
1: I need to see pictures of the hat I need to be able to put pictures of the hat on Twitter or something oh my gosh oh my gosh oh that's too cute oh she looks like she's been fed by a whole bunch of random people but she is so cute so cute oh
0: I told you this is a good one
1: it is <laughs>
0: In lieu of an annual salary, the railway provided Tama with a year's worth of cat food and a gold name tag for her collar stating her name and position. So in 2008, a summer hat was also issued for hotter weather, so she would always have an appropriate station of office. So publicity from Tama's appointment led to an increase in passengers by 17% for that month as compared to January of 2006, And ridership statistics for March of 2007 showed a 10% increase over the previous fiscal year. What they found is that her presence contributed approximately 1.1 billion yen to the local economy. And she's often cited as part of a phenomenon known in Japan as Nikonomics, which is literally cat economy. So it's the positive economic impact of having a cat mascot. (laughs) In December of 2007, Tama was recognized as the grand prize winner of the railway's top station runner award, and the year-end bonus was modified to a special cat toy and a celebratory slice of crab which Tama was fed by the company president. <laughs> In January of 2008, Tama was promoted to Super Station Master in a ceremony attended by the president of the company, the mayor, and approximately 300 spectators. As a result of her promotion, she was the only female in a managerial position in the company.
1: Okay, well that's sad.
0: I know. Her new position had an office, which was a converted ticket booth containing a litter box, and her gold name tag was modified to add a blue background with an added S for Super. In October of 2008, Tama was knighted and awarded the title of Wakayama de Knight on It's Got to be Wakayama in Japanese by the prefectural governor for her work promoting local tourism. Oh my goodness. And in early 2009, Wakayama Electric Railway introduced the new Tama train, which was a train on the line that was customized with cartoon depictions of her. Aww. In January of 2010, railway officials promoted Tama to the position of operating officer in recognition of her contribution to expanding the customer base. Tama maintained the stationmaster's job while taking over the new job and was the first cat to become an executive of a railway corporation. Oh gosh. Her staff consisted of two feline assistant stationmasters. Her sister Chibi, who was born in May of 2000, and her mother, an orange tabby named Miko, In August of 2010, in honor of her third year as station master, the station building at Kishi was rebuilt with a new structure resembling a cat's face. Both the Tama train refurbishment and station rebuilding projects were overseen by an industrial designer and everything. In January of 2011, Tama's fourth year as station master was celebrated with a ceremony and her promotion to managing executive officer, third in line in management after the company president and managing director. On January 5th of 2013, at the ceremony celebrating her sixth year as station master, Tama was elevated to honorary president of Wakiyama Electric Rail for life. Oh my gosh. However, in April of 2013, it was announced that due to her increasing age, Tama's working hours would be reduced and she would only be on view in the station office Tuesday through Friday, which was a reduction of two days from her original Monday through Saturday hours. She passed on June 22nd of 2015 at the age of 16, which is pretty advanced for a muffin like that. And after her passing, thousands of her fans from all over Japan came to pay their respects, and she was honored with a Shinto-style funeral at the station and was given the posthumous title of Honorary Eternal Station Master. Aww. She was enshrined at a nearby Shinto cat shrine as spirit goddess Tama Daimyojin on August 11th of 2015. The Tama train was redecorated for mourning and the first ceremonial passengers were children from a local nursery school. Oh. Right?
1: This is all so sweet.
0: I know. I mean, like, I want to go to there. I love cats, I love trains, this is all of that. She did have successors who followed after her. She had Nitama, who was born on January 5th, 2012, and was Tama's official apprentice. Nitama means literally second Tama. <laughs> nitama was rescued from under a train car and adopted by okiyama electric tramway and she trained at idakiso station which is five stops away on the same line as kishi station before being chosen as the new apprentice nitama is a medium hair calico and is easily distinguished in pictures by her coat length she's often drawn as endearingly fluffy on promotional materials there's also suntamatama which is a pun on Santama, which is literally third Tama, who is a calico cat sent for training in Okayama. Sun Tama was considered as a candidate for Tama's successor, but the Okayama public relations representative who had been caring for Sun Tama refused to give the cat up, writing, I will not let go of this child. She will stay with me.
1: <laughs>
0: as of September 2018, Sun Tama is working as the station master in Nakaku, Okayama, and appears occasionally on Tama's Twitter account.
1: Oh, there's a Twitter account.
0: Yes. Oh, dear. And then there's Yontama, who is fourth Tama, an eight-month-old calico <laughs> who is introduced as Nitama's subordinate and the new station master of Itakiso on January 6th of 2017.
1: Oh, so that little muffin's four years old now.
0: And the Wikipedia page has an adorable gallery of Tama and Suntama and Nitama and Yontama.
1: Okay, so what you're telling me is that when we are done with this recording, I need to go schedule a tweet for the day that this episode drops that just tells everyone that they have to go look at this. Correct. Okay, so you're going to give me all the links. Yeah. Yay!
0: Like I said, this was like catnip for me. Like, how could I not choose this once this came across my web feed? Oh, my goodness.
1: Cats and trains. If you want to enchant Will, cats and trains.
0: I'm a simple man. I'm easy to please. (laughs) So with that out of the way, let's move to our thing of the week. It's your turn. What are you recommending?
1: It is no surprise, at least I hope not, that we value art and artists, especially independent artists, makers and craftspeople that are trying to make a living by being creative. I am really enjoying this project for a lot of reasons, but some of those reasons include the fact that I have been introduced to a lot of makers who are inspired by similar things to what I am inspired by. People who are making candles based off of the books that I love. Or making artwork based off of TV shows and movies that I adore. So one of the accounts that I've been following on Twitter is by these makers called Talon and Claw. And they are the people that I am recommending this time around. Because a couple of weeks ago I saw that not only do they make things like dice vaults and DM screens which is what I initially followed them for, out of beautiful purple heart wood. Or what is the one that you got?
0: It is Venge.
1: These are beautiful pieces of wood that they have transformed into kind of geeky treasures. But they posted pictures of some of the other things that they've made, specifically these gorgeous cutting boards. And they asked if they should put those up on their etsy and my initial thought was i will buy one if you put one up and they did and i did and it just arrived what was it yesterday yeah so beautiful in person even more so than what it was on their photos so gorgeous such lovely work and there's been a lot of times where you could possibly get something that looks nice that's mass manufactured. And we have been trained so much that we should just buy the mass manufactured thing because it is less expensive and it looks just as nice, blah, 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 blah. whatever. And I'm gonna say this right now, mass manufacturing would not have created this. We're going to be using it as a charcuterie board and it is not something that you could just pick up at a home goods store. First of all, it's heavy. It's very heavy. (laughs) Second of all, It's very clearly handcrafted. It is a piece that we will want to take care of that will inspire the look and feel of our new kitchen once we are able to buy a new house. That may take a while, but we are still trying. But I'm also going to say, yeah, it's more expensive to buy handmade objects, but the quality is just so much better. The woods that were used in our charcuterie board are beautiful.
0: Yeah, I tracked in their zebra wood, maple, purple heart, and wenge. All of these are high-quality woods, and they've all been perfectly married together. It is handmade, but it is precision handmade.
1: (laughs) And, yeah, there's some little, you know, normal imperfections in wood, but I've taken a photo of it, put it up on our Twitter, and it is, like, my kind of cell phone photo of it still, gets to show you all of the different beautiful pieces of this. But yeah, Talon and Claw. The rest of what they've made is also wonderful. Like once we have settled down and have our finances a little less down payment focused, we're probably going to get a DM screen. And if you don't want to get one on your own, I will probably get it because I'm jealous of your dice vault. I kind of want to get one of my own. And on top of that, I just like supporting people who make things.
0: I think you picked a good one. I was blown away by the quality that we got just taking these out of the package. These are definitely high quality and well made. The skill and craftsmanship and thought put into these works is truly worthy of your support. And yeah, they seem like great people.
1: Yeah, they were also very nice when I complimented them on Twitter. and I just, I like the fact that they're nice and that, you know, I've gotten good vibes from them. It's
0: a worthy recommendation. Thank you. All right. So with that, let's move on to seven words. I believe you have seven words from the book. I do. What's your pick?
1: Okay, so Denna shows up in this, which means that there are... T- Tons of options and a couple of the pages of my book are now covered in orange highlighter. All that being said, I thought about he's like a kitten in a coop because I knew that cats are going to enchant you, but we've already got an enchanting cat in this episode. So I'm going to go with my other option. Thank you kindly for all your help. If we take Quoth and Denna's relationship at face value and don't read anything potentially negative into this particular interaction, like assuming that she purposefully left an earring for Quoth to find, and that Quoth kind of standing over it and guarding it and probably keeping it in his hand for the entire time that they were having their conversation as kind of an expected thing that he was doing to protect it, then this is a really cute interaction even if it was manufactured. And I think, ultimately, this was probably one of the sweeter vignettes of their interactions.
0: So I had seven words from life, and I picked, I still have some work to do. I feel like this is the story of my life. I'm always gonna have work to do. I can always do better and do more. And I don't think we're ever truly, really done working on ourselves. I think we're always works in progress, and I think that's okay.
1: I'm surprised that you didn't choose anything related to my little snoring concert with the cat.
0: We didn't have any good seven-word sentences for that. Oh, darn. I thought about it.
1: For those that don't know, our cat Lila has a bit of a kitty cold. It's been going on for a while, but it makes her sound like she is breathing through, I don't know, the spokes of a bicycle.
0: She sounds like a kid with a poorly fitting retainer.
1: Fair enough. It's terrible. And so she has been making this noise. And apparently last night, because she was sitting on me while I was asleep and I couldn't roll over, apparently I was too.
0: Yep, in stereo.
1: <laughs> and I feel really bad for Will because I know what it's like to be the person who is awake with someone else snoring right next to your ear.
0: I still have some work to do. (laughs) So with that, I'd like to thank you for potting with me.
1: Thank you for potting with me.
0: And thank you for listening to Tales from the Waystone. Join us next time on Tales from the Waystone as we cover chapter six of the wise man's fear through the lens of subtle manipulation.
1: We would like to thank our friend Shawnee Jang for our theme music.
0: And many thanks to Patrick Rothfuss for creating a world that we've enjoyed exploring.
1: Audio production, editing, and social media coordination, courtesy of me, Phoenix McCullough.
0: Project management and writing, courtesy of me, Will McCullough.
1: If you would like to help support us, please consider becoming a patron on our Patreon page, where you can find early access to the show, as well as other exciting items.
0: You can also reach out to us directly on Twitter, at WaystonePod, or on Instagram, also at WaystonePod. If you have any Suggestions for recommendations, please pass it on. And as always, here's to one more day above the
1: roses. To one more day above the roses. Ding. I'm so used to being toward the end of a massive book that I did not hold this correctly. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I held it upside down, Bear. Oh, noes. Oh, noes.